Well, this morning, real quick, before we dive into the message, many of you who were here um, last week or uh, have been a part of our church community for a while um, know that we had kind of a scary uh, moment last week. One of our friends, um, Jessica Rush, uh, had a medical uh, emergency. Something happened where she had a blood clot in her uh, carotid artery, which um, meant that she had a had to be lifeline down to Indy, and uh, many of you have been praying, have given gifts of um, generosity to their family, and I just want to give just a real quick report to you um, that Jess is doing incredibly better. Um, there's a long road ahead as far as um, recovery and working on some um, speech and um, just some of her physical abilities, which are interesting because if, if you've never met her before, she competes in um, strong woman contests and things like that. In fact, when she used to be uh, a board member at our church, I used to brag to other pastors that I had the world's strongest church board member, and, uh, which felt pretty good. Um, but she's doing a lot better, and so they, just on behalf of the Rush family, I just want to say thank you so much for your prayers, for your concern, things like that. And there'll be more ways in, in the days ahead as we know more um, how we can just love on them and support them. Um, hopefully today just maybe move to a rehab facility where <clears throat> they'll work more intensely on those sort of things. But um, again, would you guys just join me real quick uh, in, in a prayer of thanksgiving to God for what he's already done and just a prayer of just continued support for our, um, just our, our friends, uh, the Rush family. Um, God, again, we, we praise you for the fact that you are with us in every moment. In, in last week, this time last week, um, Father, was a scary time. Uh, we confess to you it left our heads scratching, it left us uh, worried, and we're so grateful for the fact that you are God, um, that you do what only you can do, uh, that you provided the right people at the right time in that, um, Father, that it looks like Jess is going to make a full recovery, and Father, we just praise you for that. Um, we know things could have been um, so different, uh, could have been a much different story, and Father, we are just thankful for the fact that um, you are good, that you are with them, and Father, we pray as a church community that we continue to find ways, um, both through prayer, but also through tangible means um, just to love on the rushes in the days ahead. And that, Father, throughout it all, we'd continue just to give you all the glory and the honor and the praise because you are good uh, and you are worth it. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, this morning, uh, we are wrapping up a series that we've been in since the beginning of the year um, called Values for a Vision. And uh, if you haven't been around with us, uh, we as a church community have been um, talking about um, who we are. You know, oftentimes when we talk about um, vision, we, we oftentimes talk about um, activities or things that we want to do. Uh, and as a church community, we've been trying to um, dive into this idea of rather than just saying, what do we think God wants us to do? Uh, we've really been thinking through the idea of who do we believe that God wants us to become? What does it look like to um, embody whom God has created us to be and out of that flow the activities that he would call us to? And so if you haven't been with us, we, we have these seven core values. They are um, to be rooted in Jesus, to be persistent in prayer, to be gracious in love, radical in generosity, eager to serve, and committed to community. And this morning, we're going to be wrapping up by talking about our, our, our final core value, which is this idea of being focused on his kingdom. Now... It's incredibly important. We're going to talk a little bit about what the kingdom of God is, what that means, uh, which is a big topic that I do not have enough time to, to fully explain. And if I'm honest, which is one of the fun things about studying God's word and, 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 and trying to understand God better, is there are so many things that are so simple and yet so complex. And it's a beautiful thing because it invites us to constantly be journeying to know God better and understand uh, his will and his ways better. 
But this morning, I, I in particular at the beginning of this message, want to focus on this idea of being focused. When I was uh, in early elementary school, uh, I got to find out that I was special and I was cool. Uh, while all my friends did the normal things, sometimes I got invited to extra rooms where sometimes they'd have me do uh, cool activities. I thought I was just a cool, special boy. I did not realize it was different. Uh, later on, I'd get to take these special little pills because I guess I had this thing called ADD. Now, I thought it maybe meant like awesome dude, you know, or something like that. Um, turns out it has something to do with not paying attention. I don't know. I wasn't really paying attention when they're telling me. Um, But I think many of us, if we're honest, while we may not have a diagnosis, <clears throat> many of us struggle with attention. In fact, I know it's true. Statistically speaking, uh, since 2000, our um, attention spans have been shrinking. In fact, some, some scientists would say uh, that, that, that in 2000, this is before the digital revolution, um, that we had a, 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 um, an attention span of about 12 seconds on average. Again, this is you have, you have big attention spans, small attention spans. Uh, but then later on, they had done this uh, in 2012 again, and it dropped to eight seconds, which is just wild. In fact, statistically, supposedly, according to this study, uh, we actually um, lose to the goldfish who has a um, longer attention span than us. But it's not surprising, right? We, we think about the world that we live in today. Many of us have these things called smartphones that ironically seem to make us dumber. One study said that the average smartphone user touches his or her phone 2,617 times a day. Some of you literally, as I said it, were like, wait, did I just get a notification? And honestly, the crazy thing is that study uh, also said that for millennials, which is my generation, that's twice that number. That doesn't even factor into Gen Z, which is the generation coming behind. It is wild. Another study I read said, uh, said that we spend nearly 47% of our waking hours thinking about something other than what we are doing in that moment. We are constantly being pulled in tons of different directions. We constantly have our mind taken to different things. And we live in a world full of algorithms, right, that, that take what we think we want or what they say we should want, and it blasts it over and over again. Sometimes to a creepy extent, right, where you're like, I didn't even say that out loud, I didn't even search that, but here it is in my, um, in my feed. Which, if anyone wants to know, I have tried to break the algorithm. I've tried to say stuff like, free money, darker mustache, haven't found anything yet. We see all of us have our attention, our focus being constantly uh, up for grabs. I don't know if you realize this, but in many ways, your attention is one of the most valuable things you own. Your attention is one of the most valuable things you own. If you think about it, modern marketing in a lot of ways isn't just about trying to get you to buy things. It's about getting things in front of you. Because once something can get your attention, it oftentimes can get your time and your checkbook. I guess checkbook's kind of old. Your debit card, your crypto, right? I'm hip. Is that still a thing? I don't know. But our attention is a valuable thing, and, and God knew this. In Matthew uh, chapter 6, we, we've talked about this when we talked about generosity, but Jesus said this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, the truth is that has way more to do, uh, that has so much more to say than just money. 
our treasure in a lot of ways in the world that we live in, our attention is one of the most valuable things we own. Because at the end of the day, we all have a, a certain uh, amount of time on this earth. And if your attention can be given to something, it is arguably one of the most valuable things. It is why, for many people, right, one of their great things that they desire from a family member, a spouse, a, 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 a good friend is attention, right? They don't always want money or gifts or things like that. They sometimes just want your time because they recognize that that is an incredibly valuable commodity. But again, Jesus says that where our treasure is, our heart will be also. Where your attention lies, your heart will be also. We love to live a world, we love to live a life in which we believe that we can compartmentalize everything, right? Well, like, what I search for on the internet, pastor, is not who I really am. How much time and money I spend on a certain hobby that brings very little joy and value to my life and oftentimes puts away the, the needs and wants of my family, has very little to do with who I am. You know, that's not true. Where we focus our attention will ultimately be where our heart and our soul will be. And every single one of us have this choice to make of what we will do, because again, your attention is one of the most valuable things you own, and ultimately, if you don't decide with intentionality where you will give your attention, Ultimately, it will own you. And the truth is, you can have great intentions about where your attention will go. But if you do not allow God to master it, if you do not sacrifice and give to the Lord and say, I want your ways to be my ways, you will constantly find yourself going back and back to bad places that do not bring life. You know, one of the things that uh, we, we grow up learning as kids oftentimes is the Pledge of Allegiance, right? You know, we, we stand and we say it, right? And it's this, it's this beautiful thing, right? I love my country. But oftentimes, many of us do not recognize that we cannot pledge allegiance to multiple kingdoms. And what I mean by that is many of us desire to live a life of like, all right, I'm fully in on God, right? Because I want to go to heaven because hell sounds bad but I also want to do what I want. I want to spend my money the way I want to spend it. I want to spend my time. I don't want pain. I don't want to be uh, in relationship with people who are difficult. It's this weird thing. Our hope is, how many of you guys watched the Super Bowl last week and saw um, the Kelsey brothers' mom who wore the, 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 the jersey that had like half the stuff, right? It's cute and it's beautiful and we're like, yay, mom. But at the end of the day, you can't do that. You cannot split your allegiances to something. Because honestly, what she still had to deal with, right, is at the end of the day, one of her sons had victory and one had defeat. One was celebrating and one was mourning. And at the same way, none of us can serve multiple kingdoms. Jesus said this in, in, in this similar area in Matthew chapter 6. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. See, so many of us want our cake and to be able to eat it too, right? We want it all. We want to live the life that we desire to live while still being in. Many of us live lives that I've experienced, that I, I, I found, I, I do this sometimes too, right? Where we are what I like to call find the line people. And, and the big thing will be my, 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 my four-year-old son, um, Silas, who he turned four this last week, which is weird. Um, he's really into this right now. He's trying to figure out where, where is the line, 
how much can I kind of step over without getting in too big of trouble? How, how many steps can I take beyond that without being killed, right? And a lot of us do this with faith. We're like, okay, how close can I get to the edge of, uh, of things before it becomes sin, right? How, how much can I do that I want to do that might be bad and still get into heaven? And some of you are like, no, pastor, I don't do that. Listen, I know you. I do the same thing. Listen, you're among friends. We don't have to lie right now. It's fine. We all got junk. But so many of us are looking for that, and the issue is just this. Our attention is not on Jesus. Our attention is on our wealth, on romance, on uh, our work, on, on meaning, on all these sort of things. Things that are not always bad in of themselves. But when our focus is not on Jesus, we will constantly fail. There's this story in the Gospels where uh, Jesus, he's walking on water, and there's this guy named Peter who, who, who's like, hey, can I come out there? And if, if you've never heard the story, Peter walks on water. Pretty incredible thing. Until he starts noticing the things going on around him, and he starts to sink and fall. Why? His focus fell away from his Savior, from his King. He was not focused, and he fell into these issues. Because again, he could not serve both his master, who was allowing him to rise above, and his fears, which made him fall down. None of us can serve to masters. Now let's talk a little bit about this idea of the kingdom. Jesus mentions the kingdoms uh, in, in the four different gospels about 72 times. Sometimes he uses the phrase kingdom of God. Sometimes he uses the phrase kingdom of heaven. Same thing. Same thing. Why are they different? I don't know. There'd be someone who's much smarter than me who could tell you that. But when you read them, don't be like, well, okay, wait a second. Am I on the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God team? Same team. You're good. Don't, don't get worried and confused about that. But he talks about this because it's an incredibly important thing. Now, the word gospel. Gospel comes from this uh, Greek word, euangelion. And typically, what this would mean in ancient culture would be that when someone would speak this good news, almost every time what they were talking about would be that uh, in those ancient cultures, there oftentimes would be constantly wars going on between different kings and kingdoms. And so when someone would come back with euangelion, with, with, with good news, they would be coming back to announce the arrival of a new king, of victory, of things like that. And so when we talk about proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, it is we are proclaiming that not only is Jesus king, but his kingdom has arrived. Now in scripture, it can be confusing. Some people will be like, well, when I read it, sometimes, he says, sometimes Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand, and, and sometimes he says the kingdom of God is near. So wait, is it, is it now or is it later? And the obvious simple answer is yes. It is confusing. It is both now and in the future. Because ultimately at its, at its core, the kingdom is wherever God reigns. And the kingdom is both now and in the future. There's a theologian uh, who summarizes it this way. He said, uh, when he's talking about kind of the definition of the kingdom of God, he says, God's people in God's place under God's rule. It's this idea of God's will, God's way being right. It's when we read scripture and we see where Jesus talks about things like the Beatitudes. It's where we see these things come alive. That is where the kingdom of God is. And yet also we recognize that there is a future day, right? Right? where every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. 
There'll be a day where there'll be no more mourning or sorrow or pain. We recognize that ultimately heaven will just be the forever reign of the kingdom. And so it's both now and it's in the future. And that's an incredibly beautiful thing. In this idea of this kingdom, it's this upside-down kingdom, right? In our world, in most kingdoms, um, king, being, a, being a king, having a kingdom is all about power and dominance. It's all about uh, elevating oneself. It's all about um, kind of accumulating things. And yet in the kingdom of God, it's oftentimes referred to as this upside-down kingdom. Because the idea of it is, is to live a life focused on others rather than oneself. It's an idea where, where, where the weak and the downcast and the outcasts are, are elevated and are welcomed in. And those who think they're big stuff are humbled. And this is the kingdom that Jesus calls us not only to live in, but to advance. And I should clarify, he's not called us to defend it. Sometimes I hear people talk about, like, we got to defend the kingdom of God. Do we really think the God of all the universe needs us to defend him? No. He doesn't need us to defend the faith. He needs us to live it out. Some of the biggest problems in our world today are not because there are so many people who are against the kingdom of God, because there are so many people who claim to be in it who live nothing like it. And honestly, I have to confess, I'm one of those people sometimes. Because if, if my life, there's a throne in my heart, oftentimes what happens is I invite Jesus to sit on it. But eventually I get an idea. And I'm like, hey, can you slide over just a little bit? I know there's not a lot of room. And we've all been there before, right? Where someone tries to slide into a space that there's not enough room. Some people think it's a love seat and it is a very small seat. <laughs> and that's what we do, right? And eventually what we find ourselves is like, you know what, Jesus, why don't you stand up? You look like you could use a little rest, right? After the whole resurrection thing. Stand up there. Get your legs fresh. And sometimes we might even be like, stay around though. I'm just going to do a couple things and then I'll invite you back on. And yet again, that is not how it works. Because ultimately, even when we try our best, whenever we decide that one of us gets to sit on the throne, we make poor decisions. It's sort of like the whole idea of like, you know, if we actually were let like a five-year-old be president for a day, they would, they, would, they would have a lot of fun, right? But it would be pure chaos. Because they wouldn't make good decisions. They would make decisions that involve their emotions and their desires and all that sort of stuff, right? We would all have hot fudge Sundays, right? It would be awesome. We just may not have any more money. Not that the U.S. has money anyways, but you know what I'm saying. But let's talk about this kingdom. This kingdom, though, again, isn't just about the things we do. Of course it's important that we, we do things like uh, seek justice and mercy and, and all of these sort of things. But, but Paul, uh, when, when people were trying to make it about activities, he said this. He said, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness is this uh, uh, fancy um, religious word that really just means being in right relationship. It means that we are in right relationship with God. And that our, at the core of seeking God's kingdom is to seek first your own reconciliation in right relationship with God. Many of us have these grandiose dreams of what it would look like to do incredible things in this world, which is so great. 
Because God has called us to do incredible things, to be light in dark places, all that sort of stuff. But can I confess to you guys something that I do sometimes? Sometimes I try to think about how I could do good in this world when I know there's some good that God wants to do in me. And more often than not, what ends up happening is the good that I wanted to do for the world is sabotaged by not taking care of the stuff that's going on in me. It's like I have this desire to load up my car with all sorts of good things for people that they need, yet I don't want to fill up my own gas tank. And so eventually when I go to start the car to take the things to the people, I can't do it because I'm on empty. And many of us do this as well because we do not want to seek our own reconciliation with the Father. Now, again, many of us, we don't end up seeking the kingdom of God. We don't seek his kingdom because we get so distracted by so many things. Because there's a lot to distract us in life and in this world. And typically what ends up happening is we start to worry and then we start to want to desire control. Jesus said this in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. He taught us how to pray. He said this, he says, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer. The most famous prayer of all time, right? And one of the key parts, what really in a lot of ways what embodies this idea of this core value for us is this idea of seeking that his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is an incredibly um, aspirational, beautiful thing, right? But can I be honest with you? I fear that too many of us pray for God's kingdom to come all the while seeking and serving other kingdoms. It's sort of like this thing that I, I, I will confess I, I try to do. So the last couple of years, I've been trying to exercise and work out more. Um, one, because I just see kind of family issues. And, and two, I want my wife to think I look good and all that sort of stuff. Um, but what I found for a while that I used to do is I would work out in the evening. And then what I would oftentimes do is I'd be hungry. And I'd be like, well, I just spent like 30 minutes working out. So... You know, a bowl of ice cream, a bag of chips, like all of these things are not that big of a deal, right? And then eventually I would run into this like, well, goodness, I don't feel like I'm really seeing a lot of results. Anyone ever been there before? And then sometimes like there's a piece where um, I have an Apple watch and it, you know, about the closing the rings. There'll be times I don't even exercise, but just naturally throughout the day I close my move ring and I'm like, I think I need to celebrate this one. But again, we see none of this progress. In the same way, many of us, I think, we desire to pray this with authenticity. To say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But we do absolutely nothing to actually live that out and embody that. It's this really like cool sounding thing that we say. It's this great intention that we have that many of us put no plans in action for. And at its core, talk is cheap. We can say all that we want to say, but if we're not actually living it out, in a lot of ways, we've just wasted breath. If we desire to actually see God's kingdom come, actually see his will to be done, 
our actions have to match up with our words and our prayers. But again, so many of us struggle with control. Jesus said this about this idea of worry. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can anyone, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See the flowers of the field? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow sown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans, the non-believers, run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, I love this verse. Sometimes we, 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 we go to just to seek the first, just seek first his kingdom, which is incredibly important. But why are we seeking first the kingdom? Because we have all of these excuses for why we wouldn't seek it. And so much of it desires for our, our worries and our fears. So many of us are incredible worst case scenario people, right? We walk into situations and we're like, I don't know if I can say hi to that person. What if they punch me in the face? It's like, I don't know if I can eat in that restaurant. What if I get food poisoning? Well, we, 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 we run through our minds sometimes so many scenarios that it keeps us from doing certain things. And God says, here's the thing. You, you actually want to be focused on my kingdom? Just seek it first. Stop worrying about all of these things. If you believe that I am good, if you will put aside the what if constantly and, and maybe reframe your mind to the what if I did do this? How might God's kingdom come? How might his will be done on earth as it is in heaven? How much will I actually experience this righteousness, this right relationship with him? You see, friends, when we pursue Christ's kingdom, we also have this beautiful opportunity that we reject the world's kingdoms. And the truth is, we cannot be passive in this. Jesus said, uh, if you are not for me, you are against me. Which is harsh language, because if I'm honest, uh, even when I read it, I'm like, come on, Jesus, like... You have, like, beautiful locks, you hold lambs, you invite children, like, you're on, you love everybody, right? And, and he does, right? But the truth is, he said that. And so, when we pursue Christ, it is this beautiful opportunity to say, also, I am rejecting these other opportunities, these other kingdoms, these other kings. And every time we do it, we seek him more. And every time we do it, we grow muscles to keep doing it. Friends, here's one of the hard parts about seeking God's kingdom. Seeking his kingdom starts first with surrender. And some of us get stopped here because we don't like to lose. We don't like to give up. We don't like to be told what to do. We don't like to admit that we have weakness. And here's like the incredible thing about the good news of Jesus Christ. Every single one of us 
can't do it on their own. And every single one of us need a savior. And every single one of us already have one. And every single one of us are invited. Some of you are like, that still sounds hard and not good. You're kind of saying that I'm not great. Yes, I'm sorry. Your kindergarten teacher lied to you. Not everything about you is awesome. And yet, you are also incredible. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are created in his image. You were bought with an incredibly valuable price of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You are invited to be, as, as it talks about in Peter, uh, to be part of a royal priesthood. But it starts with surrender. It starts with saying, I don't have it all together. I don't know where to go, but I know that you can, God. Because the truth is, surrender is worth it. Even if it's hard, surrender is worth it. I'll close up today by, by sharing one of my um, favorite little teachings that Jesus has, where he's, he's talking about different things that the kingdom of heaven is like. And he says this in Matthew chapter 13. He says this, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went back and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. I just love this picture, partially because like, I think just finding buried treasure would be the coolest thing in the world. But in this parable, in this story, he says that this, this man is in this field, he digs up and he finds this, this treasure and he buries it and puts it away and then he goes and sells everything he has. Now some of us in our mind are like, dude, did he inspect it? Did he take it to like, you know, uh, pawn shops or anything, like, uh, like pawn stars so they can make sure this is legit? He just went and sold everything for this? And yet it's a beautiful reminder that when we find something that is beautiful. When we go back to this idea of where your, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It is worth giving up everything for the king and his kingdom. The kingdom is worthy of, or worth giving all to because the king has already given us everything he has. So many of us have a hard time just giving up a little when Jesus has given up all for us. And the truth is, if we want to be focused in seeking his kingdom, we need to go bankrupt for it. We need to say, I'm all in. And when we do this, we join in God saying, when he sent Jesus, I'm all in too. You see, when we seek the kingdom of God, the most beautiful gift we get is that we always get to be with the king. The great gift of the kingdom is not the power we get, is not the prestige. It's not even just this idea of heaven because hell doesn't sound good. At its core, the great gift of heaven even is getting to be with King Jesus forevermore. And many of us need to reconcile this thing of what if heaven isn't exactly what we thought? But we can be okay with the fact that as long as Jesus is there, I want to be there. As long as the king's there, I want to be there. And until then, I'll focus on him so he can point me in the directions of the places he wants me to go, the ways he wants me to serve, the ways he wants me to pray, to be gracious in love, to, to be in community with others. 
if I do that, that'll be good. One of my favorite quotes um, that I read recently uh, about the kingdom is this. It says this, that the kingdom of God is where our best dreams come from and our truest prayers. We glimpse it at moments when we find ourselves being better than we are and wiser than we know. We catch sight of it when at some moment of crisis, a strength seems to come to us that is greater than our own strength. The kingdom of God is where we belong. It's home. It's whether we realize it or not. I think we are all homesick for it. Some of us need to begin to make peace with the fact that we need to come home. We need to come home and begin to live again with the king. We need to go back to our factory default setting, back to the very beginning where we are in perfect harmony with God. We need to turn our back on the kingdoms that we're trying to live in and serve and choose only his. Would you guys stand with me as we're going to sing one last song before we uh, have the baptisms? Let's pray. Father, we again thank you for um, who you are. We thank you for the fact that you are uh, the King of kings uh, and Lord of lords. We thank you for the fact that even though there are kingdoms of this world, uh, they, they hold no power over you, that ultimately you and you alone uh, are, are the true king. And Father, as we seek as individuals and as a church community uh, to be focused on your kingdom, Father, we ask you to help us uh, put aside our own wants, our own desires, to put aside the power that we want, the egos that we have, And would we fully surrender to you so we can fully serve you in your kingdom? May we not be focused even about South Creek Church of God, but would we ultimately be focused on the kingdom of God? Father, speak to us as we sing this song, and would you truly just be um, the real vision of our hearts and our minds and our desires? To Jesus' name I pray. Amen.